I miss a green, for example, I'm already upset. When I find my ball in the bunker, I'm really upset. And when I find my ball in a fried egg. Fried egg. The dreaded fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg lie. I'm about ready to run off the golf course. Welcome back to another edition of the Fried Egg Podcast. Today's episode is with our managing editor at the Fried Egg, Garrett Morrison. Garrett lives in Portland, so it was a uh, easy commute for him to go over to live Portland. Obviously, this is a huge story in golf, probably the biggest story in the last 30 years in, in golf. So we had Garrett go and cover the event uh, from the ground and uh, and give his insights as to what's going on in live Portland. So Without further ado, here is Garrett uh, and I talking about Live and the Portland event. All right, we're back. We got Garrett Morrison. Garrett, uh, welcome on. I'm hosting this one. I'm the captain of the ship. So uh, this is a weird feeling for me right now. Yeah, but but it's good. It's good. I, I I feel like I you know the responsibility is not on me right now. Yeah. Well, you uh, you spent you spent your Fourth uh, of July part of your Fourth of July weekend doing one of the least patriotic things you could do, which is attending <laughs> oh, thank a, you. a live golf uh, tour event. Uh, that being said, I you know it has been a long time since uh, somewhat elite men's competitive golf was in the Portland area, and um, you know that for that you know it's it's probably somewhat of a positive thing and. Uh, I uh, you attended as a media member, and I f- figured it'd be great to. We haven't really we've kept this feed a little bit uh, void of of live talk, and figure now's a good time to have a larger live discussion. And uh, I wanted to kind of center around your experience this week in Portland and the days leading up to and the tournament days at uh, Live Portland. So. Tell us, uh, you know, what are some of your big takeaways from the week in Portland uh, at the Live event? Well, I think my biggest takeaway is that the event worked. I think that was my main question going into the week. Is this going to work or is it going to be this kind of weird, like, you know, nobody's there and it's just this kind of fake event and they're going to pretend that it's real on the YouTube pro- broadcast and, it, it, you know, that there's just going to be this fabricated feeling to it. But it was really a successful event from my perspective for the people who attended it. They seemed to be having a good time. There was a substantial crowd there on Saturday. And the competition was exciting for that crowd. And I think that if you're concerned about Liv becoming a significant threat to the PGA Tour, and becoming something that can attract the biggest players in the world and draw them away from the traditional tours and to this kind of arm of the uh, Saudi PR machine, then this event provided a lot of reason to be concerned about that uh, because it was quite well put together, professionally run, and successful. Yeah, I think you hit on something coming down the stretch. The Everybody's been, oh, this isn't real competition. This is mm-hmm. so-and-so. 
this doesn't matter. Like the reality is men's golf is kind of in a way, you know, to use a distance term bifurcated already. You have the major championships and then you kind of have everything else. There are a few outlier events that matter, you know, like Riviera. Um, I think you could probably put the players in there. You could put, but like outside of those few events, handful of events and a handful of events that, you know, you have an amazing competition breakout where you have a, like Canada, Canada will be a good one to think about from this year where Rory and JT are dueling on Sunday. Like that was a great event, but it, yeah. it, and, it and, was... and the timing of it was convenient because yeah. that was happening at the same time as live London and live London, at least from what I saw, I mean, I wasn't there, didn't come off quite as well as live Portland. And so people were sort of looking for a real feeling golf tournament. Rory was there. Rory won. You know, that was just a very fortunate bit of timing for the Canadian Open. I'm not sure that the Canadian Open has enough, you know, juice behind it to produce that on a yearly basis, unfortunately, because I think the Canadian Open is one of the has one of the best traditions on tour. That's know? what I'm saying is like you have these one off one year great competitions breakout where you have a great tournament because of what happens on the course. And people may or may not. But like the bigger problem with that is that you don't know when they're happening when they're going to happen and and fans aren't locked in in that given week most of the times uh so you have these majors that have kind of been bifurcated and the whole idea with live you know one of the big detractions was like the competitions of farce it doesn't mm-hmm. matter it doesn't right. you know it it matters cuz they're playing for such an absurd amount of money like you could see Brendan Grace it was a huge deal that he won that tournament and people will say, oh, he's made however million wit on the course RA in his career. Let me tell you something. Like, unless it's Rory, unless it's, you know, a, a very select few players, winning four million, four plus million, you know, it, when you add in the team bonus, that really matters for, for yeah. almost every tour pro. Because you're talking about, you know, if you've, I think Brendan Grace has won around 30 million in his career. Four million dollars is is over ten percent of his career earnings. That's substantial. If, if I told you we're gonna just give you a bonus of of ten percent of your lifetime earnings at your job, you'd be pretty pumped up. So I think that's one of the things. So th- there was drama, and and the thing about it is that there are actually like, as opposed to London, I think the field was mostly the majority of the field swung from who is this guy to oh i i know who that guy is like recognizable names and it seems like it's only going to get better well and and that was a, an important element for the uh, galleries at this event recognizing players i saw people just kind of wandering around the course and happening upon Bryson DeChambeau or happening upon Brooks Kepka or Phil and being able to walk right up to the ropes and watch them and for a lot of people at the event, it was a big plus to be able to shout at them, you know, and I talked to some people about why they were at the event and whether they were concerned about the source of the money. And the overwhelming sentiment was, no, I don't care. <laughs> right. It's not a big deal to me that this is backed by the Saudi Arabian government's public investment fund. I'm not thinking about that. What I'm thinking about is the five dollar beers and the ability to go shout at Brooks. 
you know, that's, that's what I like. Now, getting back to the competitive element of it, what I was surprised by was how real it did feel. Now, it wasn't like a big PGA Tour event. It wasn't that. You know, I've, uh, the PGA Tour event I've attended the most is the Pebble Beach Pro Am. There weren't nearly as many people at Pumpkin Ridge this past weekend as there are at the Pebble Beach Pro Am. I mean, the Pro Am for the first three days is spread across three courses. On the last day, it's all at Pebble Beach. That event is packed. If you go to Riviera, if you go to Bay Hill, those events are truly mobbed. But that's just this first year. There was a substantial crowd there on Saturday. I can see how it is going to build into something that really does feel like a real golf competition. And as you're saying, that has been a major question so far is can live kind of create out of thin air and a bunch of money something that feels like an authentic golf competition? I saw this week how they're sort of going to get there. And I was concerned about that as somebody who does not want to see the live initiative succeed. And I think one of the things with the fans, what you're talking about, the mob, to me, based off of months ago, what seemed like their strategy with tickets, I don't think they're going for the mob. I think they're going for the extremely high entry point ticket, high price point, entry point ticket. And then you get a VIP experience where there is limited fans. And I think from from probably, you know, a lot of what they're doing, I think they're really their business model centers around there are important players in the in the game of golf. There are important guys and we need to curtail everything to to cater to the stars, cater to the most popular players. And if you were doing that, I think if you pulled players, they'd say, you know what? We don't want. A ton of fans. We want fans, but we don't want, you know, we don't want the Phoenix Open every yeah, week. Yeah, and we don't want what yeah. Tiger goes through every week, where you know yes. Rory and JT were like, "That's like a shot or two penalty if you play with <laughs> right. Tiger." Like they don't want that. They want fans to provide some juice, to provide places to get TIO relief, to trample down rough. You know, that's what they want fans for, and it's to provide just a little bit of juice. And I think. Then they're selling, you know, it's another sales point to the power players in this situation. You know, no matter what, the thing is the fans don't matter here. Only thing that matters in this war that the tour and live is in is superstar players. That's the only thing that matters because it's going to feel like a competition uh, either direction, uh, you know, if they have the players. It doesn't feel like a competition, as we saw in London when you have players that you don't recognize. But when it's DJ, uh, Carlos Ortiz, Brendan Grace, uh, you know, it, coming down the stretch, that feels like a tournament because you recognize the names. Patrick Reed in there, too. I, I mm-hmm. don't want to get Justine mad without including him. So <laughs> he, he was in contention at this event. We have to... We have to note that. And he was part of the winning team as well, the four aces. What do you think of the team format while we're on the competitive? I was just going to get into it. So that's working too. And the, the people that it's working for matter here. One, it's working for the fans who were there. And I'm, I'm just talking about, I'm not talking about the fans who are concerned about the morality of the live tour, right? 
uh, when I say that it's working, the event didn't work for me in the sense that I was walking around that whole time being like, oh, God, oh, shit, <laughs> you know, like this, this is starting to look like the future of golf, and I don't really want to be part of it. That was my feeling walking around the course. But the feeling of the fans who were there was this is exciting. And one thing that was exciting about it was the ability to bet on teams. People were wearing the team hats and wearing the team shirts. I told you a story actually about walking with a New York Times reporter who was there kind of polling the fans, like doing real reporting. Um, he was walking up to fans and just sort of asking them a series of questions about, about why they were there and what their thoughts were. And uh, there was one fan who walked by us who had a shirt that had a logo on it that sort of looked like the Arizona State University logo. And, you know, this reporter pointed at the guy and said, hey, Arizona, something about the conference realignment stuff. And the guy who was wearing the shirt looked at him strangely and was like, no, this is a four aces shirt. And that was was right at the beginning of the event. I sort of laughed. I was like, really? You're you're into the team element here, these teams that were created like three weeks ago, you're, you're excited about that. But what people like is, is betting on the teams. And if they like the players on the teams, if they're familiar with DJ, if they think that Pat Perez is funny, then they're going to start to develop some kind of loyalty to the four aces. Now, okay. The four aces and stinger, which is the South African team are a couple of the teams that are really kind of prefabricated, prearranged, and are nearly set in what their form is supposed to be. There are a lot of teams right now in Live that are kind of placeholders. They're waiting for more players to sign on and become part of them. You can start to see, I think you can really see that who the placeholder is for yeah, the for exactly. the captaincy like you yeah. can you you, you can see Hideki's look. team right because yeah. there's a there's a team Japan right now maybe with Hideki's all Japanese team. players yeah yeah well I mean I, I'm not saying I'm not breaking any news here I'm not saying Hideki's going I'm just saying that Liv is hoping that Hideki is coming because they already have a team Japan there's an Australian him. team that's just there waiting is Wade Ormsby for, there's wait yeah Wade, Wade Ormsby Adam Scott yeah, Mark Leachman, one of the three of those guys you have to think are the ones that, you know, they're targeting or more than one the one of the three. Maybe it's two or three. And I think that's we walk away every every time the Ryder Cups played. Every single year the Ryder Cups played. Golf fans walk away from it being like, "God, I wish there was more team golf. I wish there was more like golf like this." And there's a reason that every other sport, popular sport, is centered around teams. People like to develop fandom. And one of the hardest things, being a lifelong golf fan, you know, I think one of the hardest things to answer was always the question, like, a non-golfer, who's your favorite golfer? And I would always just be like, I don't know. You know, I like watching Tiger. I, You know, Tiger's obviously somebody that, you know, but then, like, after that, like, you know, I caddied for Luke Donald. I liked watching Luke Donald. Like you, you almost needed like some sort of a personal interaction to get because the only time you hear these guys talk really is when they're in contention for in a tournament and they play, say, 20 tournaments a year and they're in contention only a couple times. That's the beauty of this setup is they're on teams. You can develop fandom for a team. You can develop a player fandom for a player on a team, but you also know that they're playing every time and they're all, they're going to be there all three rounds. You're not going to miss, miss them. If they miss the cut, um, 
And if it's the smaller fan experience, you can go watch them. You can actually go see them. Um, I wanted to talk to you about the format. And this was something that I wanted to discuss is as a as a fan or as a media member, what was the shotgun start like versus a regular start? It was kind of fun. <laughs> I mean, listen, when when that horn would go off, people cheered. They were stoked. It was like, oh, the competition is beginning. <laughs> Did you feel <laughs> like, they were kind are, of into are, it? You probably didn't hear, but no, during I the first round, I heard there was some ridiculous propaganda. During about the first it. round, Arlo White, the commentator for Live Golf, said that many players were talking about how they feel goosebumps. <laughs> if they just, if the, if the, I mean, the telecast, good lord, they're so ridiculous. If they could just dial it back a little bit. I think they'd realize that the event itself is starting to gain some momentum and the crowds are are pretty into it. But yeah, the the when the horn went off, people cheered and and there was a sense that the competition was starting. That's one advantage of it. Um I thought it it really worked better than I believed it might. The main weakness of the shotgun start that I saw going into it is that you know, the end of the event might not really feel like the end of the event if the winner is finishing on, you know, the first or second hole, right? If the winner started on hole two or hole three and comes back and wins the event, that player is not going to be finishing on 18. That player is going to be finishing on another hole. Uh, but the thing is, like, more than likely, the winner is going to be in that final group of three. Or, or last two. They did. They made a tweak. And I don't think any, I haven't seen anybody comment really on this, but they made a, a format tweak already. And this is one of the beauties of being small and having mm -hmm. 48 players is you can change things and it's not a big deal. Also, not having a, a tour of players that you have to pass changes through is a huge advantage for a sport that wants to figure out how to, how to create the best product if they yeah. want to do that. Right. But they already made a tweak. They made they start they had a 1a and a 1b right, in the final yes. round yeah. and i was yeah. thinking about it it's like they could go 1a 1b 1c even it if might they back wanted, things up a bit it might back things up a bit but it would ensure that that last thing and and then somebody's going to be like well what if somebody comes from 3 okay how is that different than somebody coming from 2 hours ahead and winning like Paul Casey did at the Valspar a few years ago, right? Where, you know, it was like he basically finished when coverage came on. And it was like, oh, Paul Casey buried five of his last eight holes and won. You know, the only way Paul Casey can win an event is when he doesn't think he's going to win an event. Um, so I think the that is one little thing that I noticed is they may already made a format tweak. Yeah, no, I misspoke about that. That there are two groups, and so that makes it even more likely that the winner is going to be finishing on eighteen, and they build up this whole scene on eighteen. Now, if a player comes from way back, then that's a different situation. But that's the same thing that every tournament deals with. Absolutely, right? the, the the where the winner might finish really early, and there's kind of this weird little waiting period where the player's on the range, you know, waiting to see if he's going to be in a playoff or whatever. So yeah, um. That was my main, you know, sort of objection to it going in. But here's what I think the huge thing is for at least the fans on site. Now, the fans at home, that's a different issue. The telecast, it seems like it has a lot of weaknesses still, a lot of them having to do with the announcers <laughs> and their, their sort of like, you know, uh, willing propaganda for, for all of this. 
they show in and this is partly because they don't have commercials, but they don't show like the extreme lead into the shot. They just show shots. It's just and it's rarely like tapping putts. And they had the they had the caddies mic'd up, didn't they? They had like yeah. a few caddies mic'd up, which is I mean, it's something that people have been begging for forever from the PGA Tour. Again, Liv has so many little advantages over the PGA Tour and what they're going to be able to deliver in their product. It's it'd be like, you know, if you used a, a boat analogy, right? The PGA Tour has huge advantages because they have this massive ship. It's huge. But, you know, it's really hard to make little small maneuvers in a big ship. Like, you know, Liv, Liv can change, like doing things like a small little format change from one week to the next. They can do that and they don't have to ask anybody because the way they're set up. Now, with the PGA Tour, if they wanted to make a small little format change, it's got to go to the pack and then it's got to get voted on by the pack. And now some things could be worse because of that. Like, but if you're trying like what Liv's trying to do right now is create get a foothold with fans and with players. And by doing uh, having that as their focus as of right now, who knows what their focus is if they win out and, and gain the lion's share and have, you know, this week they had the biggest golf event, you know, and they strategically picked this week for a reason because the John Deere is just not a very strong event. They're trying to pick out weak events to go against and win weeks, which is smart. But, you know, say they win out, they could say, hey, we're going to change the way we do this. And it could really suck for golf fans. But they already have all the golfers signed up for contracts. That's that's the thing that makes you worried. Besides the Saudi Arabian money, which always like this is something that is just part of this tour that you're going to be worried about no matter what. But if you're looking at it without that lens, the thing that I would worry about is them winning out, getting the lion's share of the great players. And then all of a sudden the product tra- changing drastically. Yeah. Then, the, then the competition goes away and we, yeah. we see what happens like with the PGA tour, when the competition goes away, people get complacent and you know that it, it gets worse, but okay. So let me, uh, I, I was going to make a point about what the shotgun start allows for the fans on site. And I think that's significant. What it creates is a structure for the day. There's a beginning, there's a middle, and there's an end. And the golf is the middle, right? There's a beginning part where everybody's kind of arriving at the same time. And there was a huge disaster on Saturday with the with the parking. They didn't have that figured out. But people were getting on site um, <laughs> all at the same time. And all the players are warming up on the range at the same time and on the practice screen at the same time. And everybody's kind of clustered around the fan village. And there's various other activities in the fan village. There's games and stuff. There's food trucks. Everybody's kind of there. That's the beginning part of the day. Then the shotguns start. And then there's five hours of golf, right? The golf is all contained in one specific section of the day. If you go to a PGA Tour event, especially on, you know, Thursday, Friday, even Saturday, the golf feels like it's spread out across the entire day, right? There's just kind of always golf going on, right? I get, we do it with majors. It's like, when are you getting to the course today? Right. What time, what time are you getting? I, and there's I don't no know. good answer to you that. Know, sometimes. I, I yeah. think I'm going to go catch an early group at, uh, 
at eight and hang out and and then I might go back to the media center for a while and and or for fans it's the same way. When are you gonna go? Well, we might beat the rush of getting back home, so we might leave. You know when the when the leaders make the turn. Like nobody has a set date, like you said. Yeah, exactly. And and the the golf is just sort of an ambient presence at the uh, at PGA Tour events. It is the focus. You know, people are watching that, but. It's just going on all the time. And so if there are other things you want to do, then you kind of got to walk away from the golf and go do those things. At this event, there was an end to the golf as well. And then there was a whole set of activities after the golf, right? There was the the trophy ceremony. There was a party. There was a concert, you know. And so it is a really coherent entertainment product with a beginning, middle, and end. And that vision for an event that people might want to go to is really, really compelling, really smart, and distinguishes itself immediately from the PGA Tour. Again, in a way where I was walking around, I was like, oh, man, this is better than I thought it would be. This is trouble. As I mean, Arlo White alluded to it. You know, the, the merch tent was packed, jam-packed <laughs> before the start of the shotgun start on, on Friday. You know, <laughs> I think that might have been a bit of exaggeration, <laughs> but the merch tent like was Thursday being and Friday, pillaged. the crowd, the crowds were light on Thursday and Friday. Let's make no mistake. They were much heavier on Saturday. But the other thing about it is the other thing that the shotgun start creates is that Liv doesn't need as many fans to be at the event in order for this sense of a moment and of a big event to be created by an excited gallery. Because everybody's there at the same time, right? I got you. When the PGA Tour talks about like the size of its gallery, it's talking about the people who come throughout the day and are at various parts of the property at some point, you know, the people who walk through the gates. But at a live event, everybody's there at the same time. You don't need as many people for there to be created this sense of energy that the players were reacting to after the event. You know, Taylor Gooch said this is just like a President's Cup or a Ryder Cup, which was obviously ridiculous and fun to make fun of. But I think that that was a real sentiment that he had. I think he really felt that there was a moment happening. Rory called Rory called Brooks duplicitous. I think the the fir- the I don't think anybody could ever ever um say that Taylor Gooch was duplicitous because I don't think he's had a duplicitous thought in his life. I, I think he pretty much has has one level that he works on. <laughs> um, there there aren't necessarily layers to that man's intellect. <laughs> it's, it's become very very apparent <laughs> if you if you track down all of his live comments, like especially you the one where he was like confused that he got banned. <laughs> that's my favorite one wait i thought well, can I could... you imagine how how bad a performance his agent must have put in for taylor not to be aware of that i mean maybe, maybe the agent tried to tell him but that seems like somebody really <laughs> fell down in informing him about what was going on <laughs> i yep. think what you're saying about the fan experience also has a a thing about the fan experience from the television so this is just me i you know I had to I had to watch live and I watched I didn't watch on I've watched some of every day, but I was like ready to go each day at the start. Like I knew when I was like it was easy for me to block off my calendar. And I Mm -hmm. say calendar because I don't really keep a calendar, but it was all in my head. (laughs) My calendar for the day is I knew at 1 p.m. Pacific time 
I was sitting down and I was watching golf and I knew that. And, and sure enough, I was there ready to go, ready to watch golf. Now with a PGA tour event, I cover the sport. I know more of what's going on than anybody, but I rarely know actually when the fi- the leaders are teeing off and then it switches telecasts. Like I, t- I turn on golf channel and I watch the start of, of the leaders there. And then I have to switch over to the network, whether it's CBS or NBC. Like this is so much cleaner for a fan watching also is like you, it's one thing it's five hours. I know what I'm getting into. You can tell, you can tell your family, Hey, I'm watching this. This is five hours or, you know, like, you know what you're getting into. And I think that's a huge, huge advantage. I mean, I, it's pretty crazy. And I think, you know, before we get into, I want to talk about kind of players dispositions. Mm -hmm. I think when you see this fully fleshed out next year with a set 48 and teams that are on equal level footing and there are trades, there are free, there's free agency, there's kind of drama, you know, there's, you know, you don't want to say injuries and call-ups, you know, different things that happen. I think that the, the format and the, the, the events are just going to get better, unfortunately. Yeah. And the execution of all this stuff might end up stinking because the people behind live are not necessarily the sharpest tools in the shed across the board, at least in a, in a marketing and PR way. Clearly, somebody is behind the strategy of this whole tour that really it's knows what they're Norman. doing. It's not Greg you. Norman. Like, Greg Norman's an idiot. Um, but there are definitely people working for Live who are not idiots and who are making some really smart decisions about how to attack the PGA Tour and how to exploit the tour's weaknesses. And we see that in the type of event that's being put on really, really clearly. And so the big message here I want to make clear to people I'm not encouraging you to go to a live event. I don't want to go to another live event because I was walking around kind of feeling sad about it all, <laughs> about what was happening to my favorite sport in the world. And and so that that was kind of lingering over it all for me, which made it less, you know, kind of entertaining. I couldn't get into it because of that. But if you were hoping that live would be an incompetent product, a lame product, that it would be easy to ignore that it would be that on top of being morally objectionable, then I'm sorry. It's not. It's not a lame product. It has a lot of potential as a golf product. If you ignore what's behind it, then it's going to really work for the people who are into it. And so you can't have that sense of security right now that live is going to suck because it's just not going to suck as an entertainment product. I think we saw that pretty clearly this week. This is everything that the FedEx Cup playoffs uh, strive to be, but never could get to because there wasn't enough innovative thought in a large organization. And that's so often the case in in corporate America. And, and this is why startups end up killing giant companies. Yeah, agreed. This episode is brought to you by Gooder. Gooder makes $25 active sunglasses for anyone. So summer has finally started in Portland. 
Uh, I've been wearing my Gooder sunglasses just about every day. I have multiple pairs. And one thing I like about my particular sunglasses is that they are a larger size to fit my relatively large head. Now, not all Gooder sunglasses are large sized, but you can get that if you want it. Um, my sunglasses also have a golf specific lens that um, I'm not exactly sure what it does, but things look very vivid and sharp, which is cool. Uh, Gooders are comfortable, stylish, and lightweight, and they are 100% UV protective and 100% polarized in all styles. So try them out and treat yourself to a pair or two. They are very affordable. Here's the deal for Fried Egg listeners. Gooder is going to give you 15% off your entire order. Go to gooder.com, that's G-O-O-D-R.com slash T-F-E and get 15% off when you use code TFE at checkout. Look good, golf gooder. Let's talk a little bit about the player disposition. How how were it? I just, you know, I think Phil. <laughs> some some did not seem happy. Yeah, I, I feel like whenever I see Phil now, I'm like, this is a man that that realizes everything that he created and what he's yeah. done. And, and, you know, when you're really unhappy in life, you tend to play really bad golf and the last yeah. two live events, he's been really, really bad. He, he looks, he looks old and hollowed out. He didn't talk to the media at all. Now here's one thing that, that is going to make the fan experience somewhat worse. If you're interested in kind of golf journalism, if you like when journalists are able to tell you what's really going on on a golf tour, then Liv is going to make that uh, source of knowledge a lot narrower because media access for these players was basically non-existent at this event. There were a couple of press conferences before play. There was there was one flash zone interview featuring three players after each round of play and one press conference featuring like six players after the final round. There wasn't much that you could find, and there were a lot of players who didn't talk to the media at all, including Phil. Now, maybe there are reporters who were talking to him privately. I'm, I'm sure there were, but he was kind of this shadowy non-presence at this event. I saw him play a couple of holes. It seemed like he was playing really, really bad golf, like his game is just sort of in pieces and <laughs> that uh, he doesn't have much to offer from that perspective. And uh, he just doesn't look good. You know, I i don't know. Maybe he's happy. I, I don't have any inside information about his mental state, but he, he doesn't. He, You know, the thing about Phil is I don't know if, how, how much you saw him live before all of this, like when he was in his 30s and 40s. But Phil always kind of had this glow about him, this presence. He's a bigger guy in person than you think he is. And he's he's more vigorous and or he was more vigorous in person than you think he was. He kind of had this charisma about him he really doesn't have that right now he's just kind of walking around looking tired and kind of grizzled and uh and it's a it's a bit sad to see and and my speculation is that you know he's a bright guy he understands what this is and he understands what it's doing to the pga tour i i think he probably has some regrets brooks kepka was another guy who did not seem happy i was following brooks all week right I was trying to come up with some kind of story about what his experience was like, because I, I found him interesting at this event. He's clearly the best player out there, right? I mean, maybe not ex at this exact moment, but he won four majors in a very short amount of time in very recent memory. This guy is a primo player and somebody who's always put himself across as a serious competitor. 
And now here he is in a, a league that is really not about serious competition. Um, it's, it's more of a show and he's kind of a circus bear in this show. And so I was curious about how he was reacting to it. So he was part of a press conference at the beginning of the week. He put in a really petulant performance. It, it was, it was just pathetic. And, uh, you know, he, he was offended by every question, including the softballs from Mike McAllister, who's the in-house live reporter. And, uh, he was just acting like a child. He didn't speak to the media for the rest of the week. I tried to get uh, a couple of questions in uh, with him and he refused, refused, refused and just kind of stayed away from things. Didn't play very good golf, kind of threw a tantrum on the course uh, during the the final holes of play on Friday, I guess it was, and uh, and was was just kind of being a brat. And so that was Brooks Kepka's week. Then there were a lot of other players who seemed very happy and very content with their decision Matt Wolf. and seemed to be having a good time. <laughs> yeah, Matt, Matt Wolf seemed to be, seemed to be a, at peace with things. I guess he got to spend more time with his dog recently or something. I, uh, that's what he was saying in his press conference. But you know who, who really was in a, uh, a kind of positive mood frame of mind and played good golf during this week was Patrick Reed. He was part of the winning team. Dustin Johnson also seemed to be really enjoying himself. There was just this, there was this moment after the end of play on Saturday when I was kind of walking along the road that led from the golf course to the media center and the witch hollow uh, clubhouse at pumpkin Ridge. And I was standing on that road just when the carts that were carrying the winning teams and players were passing by it was basically the Stinger team and the Four Aces team. So it was the the South Africans and the Americans. It was Dustin Johnson, Patrick Reed, uh, Brandon Grace. It was uh, Pat yeah, Perez, there, there were, Taylor Gooch, right? Pat Perez, uh, Henny exactly, Duplessis, Louis Tazen, <laughs> yeah. and Charles Schwarzel. Right. Yeah, yeah. Louis Tazen was there. They were all drinking. Dustin Johnson was already drunk. Dustin Johnson, kind of a notorious lightweight, he seems to get drunk really quickly. But he he was drunk and kind of shouting. Patrick Reed was was covered in champagne and uh, they were just sort of shadowing, shadow, shouting at each other and laughing and and having some drinks. And um, they seemed to be just having a wonderful time. And what was I what I was imagining is that they would go to scoring. They would go to the press conference. And then right afterwards, they were going to hop on FaceTime with players who are kind of on the fence about moving to live. And they're going to talk to them and say, we're having a great time here. You're missing out. Come on board, get your $30 million, get your $90 million, whatever it is, and come play for this team or that team. You're missing out. That that was, I, I don't know, the the kind of vibe I was picking up about what they were about to do and the kind of mood that they were in. So there, there were some contrasts in how players were approaching this. There are certainly some players who are into it and and who seem to be absolutely fine with their choice there are others that you know if you read into it a little bit they seem to be seem to have some regrets so i don't know i think when you think about all this and in, in the totality um there was a ton of smoke at riviera about everybody that was going and a lot of those who were rumored then have made the jump by now Mm -hmm. That was the same week that the Phil comments from Alan Shipnuck went out and derailed really everything. And it's really rare 
for an organization to get effectively a second life. And the PGA Tour was given, you know, given they were given months to figure something out before this um, the first live event uh, <laughs> in London. Do, do you think that PGA Tour leaders actually thought after February and after the Phil disaster, ah, we have vanquished live? Yes, I do. They had months to to figure something out. They had all the players back under the fold. They had, you know, uh, effectively, it felt like they were doing hostage videos with players making them pledge their support to the right. PGA Tour. And they and the statements they had this, from Bryson and Dustin. Yeah. Yeah. They had they had all these players come back into their arms, run back into their arms, and they had this opportunity to really reform at that point and 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 stave off this threat. And you know, this was what you're talking about with the players. I think that's like the thing, the most powerful thing of of with live is that like we've talked about in this pod what matters is the superstars they've got a they've got a handful and anybody that says oh they're all over the hill if you go look at last year's pip four of the ten that's that's not insignificant for a tour that has two events well and some of those guys on the pip were are clearly over the hill competitively but but not popularly and and listen dustin johnson patrick reed bryson DeChambeau. They've all had their issues recently, but these are real players. These guys are among the best golfers in the world still. Yeah. So you, this might have been over, you know, the battle for star players. And I think you could make the argument. You know, I, I just don't think less player, I don't think players are leaving. It doesn't seem like it. I haven't, we haven't heard one player that's gone be like, I'm, I'm really unhappy. We, sh- I shouldn't have gone yet. And obviously we're two events in, they're getting paid an absurd amount of money. I don't know, like they're playing, they're working less. You know, the, the talking points, the PR strategy has been horrendous for these guys. The, the, that is like a whole nother uh, can of worms to go down. But, but the reality, like when you zoom out and look at the big picture, this thing might've been over the second a shot was hit in London, the second that it went off without really a hitch that it was a, that people got paid, that they had a telecast. The telecast wasn't awful. Um, you know, from the sense of like, it showed shots that were, they didn't have like the, the, it, the feed didn't go down. The feed hasn't gone down. They've shown shots. They've players have gotten paid and players that have gone over are very happy with their decision. Seemingly, you know, we just talked about how Phil looks, I don't think Phil's bank account, like, I think he might have been in a situation where he really needed the money. So he's probably happy <laughs> yeah, about Phil, that. Phil might be coming back. He he might he might look a lot better. And listen, I'm just kind of watching things and relying on my intuition about how what guys are putting out there in terms of their affect. I don't have any inside information about whether Phil's unhappy or regretful about his decision. I would imagine that he has has uh, dealt with a lot of the debts that he had reportedly built up for years and years because he got you know uh, allegedly over a hundred well over a hundred million dollars so you know th- things are things are probably a little better for him than they were a few months ago so I think that's the thing uh that I kind of I think about a lot with this is is it r a over and I kind of 
like every one of these events that goes every single time they sign, you know, they signed Paul Casey. I don't think that's it. I think there's more coming after the open. And I think there's going to be a, a slew of players after the FedEx. After, yeah. After they get their, their payouts. So that'll, that would be the Chicago event will be the one where you have a huge. And, and the thing about it is with every signing, uh, it feels like that, that new person goes through a little bit less of a rigmarole, like Phil DJ, Phil and DJ. And, uh, they, and they took the heat. Those were the guys that, especially that front Phil. line, that front line, Kevin, nah, everybody, everybody treats DJ with kid gloves, right? Mm-hmm. Let, let's just put that out there. Yeah. He was one of the first players to sign, but since everybody thinks he's dumb, they didn't ask him any substantial questions, which is ridiculous. But but Phil definitely took the brunt of the PR hit for sure. And listen, he put himself out there for that. He he was explicitly positioning himself that way a few months ago, saying to other guys, uh, according to rumor, "Look, I'm I'm going to come out here and I'm going to be your shield. Come on board." That was a recruiting strategy. And and guess what? He 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 got hit. So um, yeah, and yeah. and you see it like the what Patrick Reed and Brooks went through this week significantly less Absolutely. than what those and 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 Paul Casey nobody cares that Paul Casey went but Paul Casey's like a consistent top 30 player in the world that's significant the thing the other aspect of this is that with every player whether you care for them or not you know whether it's a big deal that that Patrick Reed went it just makes events like the the, the John Deere feel more and more like a corn fairy event when you take 20 players off the PGA Tour, that's a huge problem for the PGA Tour. When you take 20, and, and Kevin Na is not a box office hit, but he's a fee, field filler. Well, he's also a PGA Tour event winner. Yes, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> he's one He's one of the better players on the PGA Tour. Abe Answer matters. Abe Answer, Abe Answer is one of, the, one of the bigger ones because he is in the middle of his prime right now. He's just getting better and he fully has the ability to to take down a major, don't you think? I think so. I mean he's contended in majors. He's he's contended he's a in majors. He really could win at a play he could win at a place like the old course. He he's sort of a guy like Louis Eustazen in in a way. Like he's he's one of those players who just yeah, he shows up at tough courses. Abe Answer is a real player. Now you could make the argument that Paul Casey is injured, just like a lot of these guys are injured. But when people like Abe Answer are jumping over, and really Abe Answer didn't have to answer a single tough question this week, right? Uh, Brooks Kepka might have had to answer a couple of tough questions, but Abe Answer really kind of dodged it. And if that's the model for uh, players of his ability and his status who are jumping over, then other players are going to be looking at that and being like, hey, Abe Answer really didn't get much shit this week. And then you start to look at the global impact with Abe answer Carlos Ortiz. They just like, I I know Mexico, we talk about media markets in, in America all the time. It, it, if you look at what college football and the big tens doing right now, that's what it's about. It's about, Oh, we got, we have Rutgers because we wanted a, a foothold into the New York media market. We have LA now with U, USC and UCLA. Like we, this TV market. So if you look at live, they're doing it with countries. You know, and Mexico, while 
insignificant, not the biggest market. Not the biggest market. golf market. A market, yeah. yeah. It, and, and if this becomes more of a team game, people that have never played basketball in their lives watch the NBA because, you know, they're, they're from San Francisco and they're a Golden State Warrior fan, you know? And this is the, this is the transcendent impact that team golf can have is that it allows people to have a rooting, a genuine rooting interest in it, especially if you tie it to countries. And that's where this is really potentially a product that could really, you know, I, I feel like we're just, but I think this is the, the reality of the situation is the tour is kind of opened the seas and, and allowed this to happen by inaction for decades. And, and that's the, you know, you start to look at these countries and and it becomes like very apparent what's going on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and Jay Monahan is saying, I can't compete against a foreign monarchy that is spending billions to buy the game of golf. But listen, there are strategic decisions that Liv has made that have exploited strategic non-decisions that the PGA Tour has made over the past 10 or 15 years that are going to start to bear fruit probably over the next several months. Now, speaking of Carlos Ortiz, right? Carlos Ortiz didn't get much notice when he jumped over. Um, and he nearly won this week. He played well this week. So obviously a good player who has won on the PGA Tour, won in Houston. Um, he is part of a network effect that could be pretty concerning for the tour. So maybe it's not significant to people that Carlos Ortiz left. Maybe not that many golf fans are missing him necessarily from the PGA Tour. But according to uh, Dylan DeCher's reporting at the PGA Championship, guess who Carlos Ortiz was rooming with? at the PGA championship, Joaquin Neiman, Mito Pereira, right? These guys are buddies. They're friends. They are no doubt in communication with each other. And the more guys like Carlos Ortiz who move over, the more parts of the network that is the PGA tour will be taken over by this, right? So Paul Casey Maybe we are not missing him because his back is injured and he's on the Genuinely back half of his, not, of his career. Not necessarily a great guy. Either. And he's not he's not a good guy. <laughs> yeah, this is well known sort of dipshit. But um, Paul Casey jumps over. But who's Paul Casey connected to? You know, maybe a lot of guys who are already on live. He's he's connected to, and maybe that's part of the reason he's over there. But again, it is it is a network effect. The more guys that jump over, the more guys who are going to be influenced. Uh, to jump over. And we're just sitting, seeing the start of that. Now, a big domino that has to fall is OWGR. And I, I don't know, like, do you think that OWGR points are going to be granted to live events? Like given that they've been granted to the hero world challenge and all that, that's the example that everybody cites hero world challenge gets OWGR points, but there are a couple of differences. The hero world challenge is, is, uh, is you know, has, has more of a traditional structure than these live events. So, I mean, what, what do you think? I think with live at a certain stand, standpoint, like this is the official world golf ranking. The job of the official world golf ranking is to rank the best golfers in the world. So when you get to a point where you have X of the past major championship holders, like you start to do add the majors up of these guys and that they're playing on this tour. It's stroke play. You know, granted, it's 54 holes. At a certain point, 
as players continue to go over here, you get to the you get to a situation where is the world golf ranking actually a world golf ranking if if you're ignoring these players? So you think the OWGR might have to adjust just just as live might adjust. Or there might be a a point where you say is this is the OWGR a PGA Tour European Tour uh sanctioned ranking and not a actual world golf ranking. Yeah. So live live could isolate the OWGR is what you're yes. saying. Yes. Well, this yeah. is this is what's going on. The same thing that the tour is doing, it seems like the OWGR could go down the same path and render themselves extinct by ignoring them. And th- this is the once the the smart thing that the majors have done to this point have just been stay out of the fray because there's no point to pick fights. Again, what matters in this sport is the top players. If if in tennis if Novak Djokovic, Roger Federer and Rafa Nadal and you know a few a slew of other players left the ATP and started playing in in tournaments somewhere else and you said this is the best tennis player in the world whoever was at top the ATP because those guys left you'd be like no that that's not the best tennis player in the world we know who the best tennis players in the world are and that's not him yeah well with ten- tennis it's more obvious because for years it was so clear like it's not a major unless Roger Federer and Rafa Nadal and Novak Djokovic are there and so but just as an example Imagine if if live were happening on uh, in tennis like uh, ten years ago or something, um, and the the ra- ranking points of some sort. I'm not familiar with tennis uh, all that much, but if ranking points points of some sort were not given to Roger Federer and Rafa Nadal after they had jumped to live tennis, then what were the majors going to do? Do you think Wimbledon is going to say now we're not going to have Roger Federer and Rafa Nadal at our event anymore? No, they're going to adjust and figure out a way to get the best players in the world at their tournament. And so if Liv gets all the best players in the world, are the majors going to say, no, we're sticking with the OWGR? We're sticking with the PGA Tour? They're going to say, no, we we want the best players in the world at our tournament, so we kind of have to grant some openings to these Liv guys. That's that's the thing. And maybe it's there's a exemption category that comes from the top 10 players on the live money list or something like that. Like the reality is the OWGR cannot operate as the official. It's the title official world golf ranking. You can't be the official world golf ranking if you just choose to ignore a slew. Not it's not a handful. It's a large number of the best players in the world that have chosen to go play on a different tour. You know, and and I know people are going to be like, well, it's not 72 holes. You can't be the official world golf ranking if you just ignore a a large portion of the best players in the world. Yep. Yeah. So that that could be one way that this would play out where the OWGR actually is rendered vulnerable in the same way that the PGA Tour is rendered vulnerable and is kind of forced to get on board. And uh, and that that could very well happen. I think the mistake that everybody's made, and it's a it's a natural mistake when somebody threatens you, is the idea of harsh regulation, harsh penalties to these players. We're going to ban you. We're not giving you OWGR points. These are the things that are the natural 
things. In any other business, this doesn't work. This does not, that's not a sound strategy. You do not say, in the sense of like, you don't say we're banning you. You say, all right, go over there and we need to make our place more attractive so we make sure that you come back. If they hadn't banned these guys, and now I know that there are, it's a slippery slope, but you you can't ban these guys because it galvanizes them. It gives them, like, all of a sudden, these guys are all chummy and buddy-buddy because they don't go back to the tour where Patrick Reed's isolated as a cheater. Yeah. You know, he is now a part of this group that broke away. Yeah, you know? Re- reading between the lines, Patrick Reed is part of the Four Aces team now. Yeah. He's kind of buddies with DJ and Taylor Gooch and Pat Perez. Those are kind of his friends. And you they're know? all buddies because they're the ones that have taken the leap. They're, they're the renegades. us against the world type yeah. of thing. If you had allowed them to come back to the tour, they'd come back to the tour and they'd be like, oh, God, all these guys I respect, they fucking hate me now. And and they don't want to be anywhere near me. And that that makes me feel bad. Maybe I don't want to do this. But they've removed that. Like, one of the biggest aspect deterrence to going and playing live would be the peer respect lost. And when, when you can't go back to where all your peers are and feel that you've played right into their hands. And it's the same thing with the OWGR. If you ban them from the OWGR, if you, if you say we aren't giving them ranking points, it's just going to galvanize them more. This is what happens. And, and they use these slights to create more momentum for their league. It'd be like it'd be like if if Liv had denied you a credential because they knew going into it that you were not going to be somebody that was looking to write something positive about them. No, they didn't ban you. They said come out. And you walked away, you know, actually you you know, you still have the same feelings towards the regime, but you're like, you know what, the golf product's better than I thought. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, and I, I've, I've thought about that a lot and, uh, wondered whether just being out there at all was the right call. I think ultimately I'm glad that I went out and saw the event, but I personally really have no desire to go and see more events. You know, live Portland is going to happen again, likely next year. I don't think I'm going to be there. And so that kind of opens up the question for, you know, I, I don't know if we can say for sure how the fried egg is going to cover live in the future. Um, I'm not sure if we have enough information now about how that's all going to be. But it is a question for us, right, Andy? Like, yeah, if live is the most successful golf tour on the men's side in the world, then to what extent are we covering men's professional golf on a day-to-day basis for the fried egg that's for the fried egg podcast we cover we we're, we do all sorts of stuff as you said at the beginning this is the first real like live focused podcast since live has started its events and so for us we can go out and see golf courses we, we've got all kinds of stuff going on focus on the majors that's great the shotgun start maybe it's a little different well, day-to-day the, coverage the on twitter etc yeah, I don't know where 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 do we fit in all this? And I, I I think one of the things we haven't done to date is like actually cover the golf, like the yeah, way the, you the golf cover is, golf. I always it's, knew going in, I'm not covering the golf because the golf is not the point. This is a political project all the way down. 
It's a now, political it's, it's all... and a it's just I mean this is the biggest story in in golf since Tiger Woods really. Um we're talking about a schism. We're I'm pretty most people describe me as an optimist. Um you know, most people who start companies uh from nothing are optimists. Um <laughs> but I'm yep. extremely pessimistic on the future of the PGA Tour and I I I really feel I I've thought about it for the last month really since since london that it was already over um and it's just a matter of time before they have you know and i think once once all the big players are there once the majority of the big players are there it it puts the pga tour stands of rory and and jt in really tough positions where i i you know at a certain point can they actually save the pga tour uh one thing i wanted to talk i kind of got derailed or i just like got sidetracked when uh when we were we were discussing it but you know monahan using like money as um irrational money as a reason i think one of the things that when you zoom out and you get outside of america live is a little bit less detested and one of the reasons is effectively the pga tour has rendered golf worldwide irrelevant for the most part, you look at what's happened, the centralization of, of all the great golf, for the most part, the great players only playing exclusively in America has been something that's all been centered around money. And in certain countries, what would feel like irrational sums of money being doled out to players to play in, in, uh, you know, Hartford, Connecticut. Yeah. For example. Yeah. So to these golf fans, what you're saying is essentially the PGA tour did to their regional or national golf scene, what Liv is currently doing to the American golf scene. Yeah. And I, I think that that's, that's, that's fair, right. Uh, from, from their perspective, you know, uh, the, the PGA tour, it, it, you know, there, there are some people who are not exactly sad to see the PGA tour go away. You and I have been critics of, of the PGA tour all along. I wouldn't have been sad to see the PGA tour go away either if it were being replaced by something that I feel that I could get behind. But, you know, my issue is that live is part of the Saudi Arabian government's marketing apparatus. And that feels like a ridiculous thing for me to get invested in and to follow and to cover on a day-to-day basis. But yeah, as you say, you know, we are stuck in our perspective as Americans that we we can't be other than Americans. And so to British people, to South Africans, to Australians, to people in Japan, this might feel really different. So it's easy to to look back on this and say that the PGA Tour made so many strategic mistakes all along and that if we were in Jay Monahan's position that we would have done something different. I don't know if I could have imagined how successful and how quickly successful Liv could be. I don't think I knew that before I saw it actually happen. And I've I've been surprised at how quickly they've moved and how well they've been able to put on events. And so I don't want to uh, criticize Jay Monahan too heavily for you know not knowing the future. But you know what? I think when the PGL proposal was starting to circulate in 2019 2020 the pgl proposal was out there right this this had been in the works for years i think that somebody who saw where professional sports in general were headed 
where the top players in every sport, not just golf, are are getting more and more compensated and getting more and more power because they are the ones who drive the interest in the sport. I think that as soon as that PGL proposal was circulating, that anybody who had a real eye on the future of golf would at least say this has some real legitimacy to it and it might eventually be what happens with professional golf. Maybe we need to adjust in order to incorporate this into our structure. I would have hoped that there was at least somebody in Panavidra headquarters who was saying that. But, you know, looking back on on this whole thing, it, it seems pretty clear that this was almost inevitable, that something like this would take over professional golf. All right. I think uh, as, as grim of an ending as that is, we'll, we'll end this here. Uh, hopefully, you know, there's I guess there's still time for the PGA Tour. It's not yep. completely over, but it, it certainly feels like the momentum's going the wrong way. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll see what what happens. And uh, it, it's uh, you know, you won't be going to any live events anytime soon, but uh, appreciate you spending spending the week out there uh, and uh, it, it being able to provide some insight uh, as to the on the ground experience. Of course. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Andy. Thank you for listening to another edition of the Friday podcast. Today's episode was edited by Meg Atkins and Garrett Morrison. Thank you guys for the great work as always. And as a quick reminder, I am heading over to Scotland uh, next week, this week, really uh, for link season out there. We are going to be doing uh, a lot of content on both courses and the open championship, the 150th at the old course. So, with that in mind, it is a great time to sign up for the Friday newsletter. Go to thefriday.com and uh, right there you'll see a newsletter sign up button. Put your email in and you will be kept up to date with everything going on in the world of golf as well as the Friday. Thanks and we will back be back on Friday with a special edition of the podcast that's again dedicated to the old course. So you won't want to miss that on Friday. Thanks. <laughs>